IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I am Rabbi Ari Kievman. Great to be with you this afternoon. And today we're going to take a look at a topic that some people have asked me to discuss, which is reaction, how people deal with mourning and loss. And unfortunately, I myself have just come out of mourning Shiva for my father and actually we're already approaching Shloshim, the 30 days. And this has been a topic that people I deal with, congregants, friends, who've been asking me for some insights, some ideas. Firstly, just the Jewish perspective on mourning, because we know that, that people deal with it, people deal with grief in different ways. And the truth is, as Jewish people, we take it for granted that the, that mourning for the passing of a loved one is appropriate. It's the way things are done. But... Firstly, I would say locally in the community, hopefully this doesn't happen too much, although I find myself too frequently at West Park Cemetery as a rabbi dealing with elderly people. I'm oftentimes called on officiating funerals. And recently, and I've had this at least twice I could think of in the last few years, where one particular instance, the child of the deceased asked that we schedule the funeral for her lunch break. And I was thinking, well, maybe that's just because... Uh, she was involved in a particular uh, litigation or whatever it may have been. But she was too busy to actually take off or maybe afraid of her employer or perhaps not understanding and appreciating the benefits and the halachic requirement of mourning for one's parent. And unfortunately, after the funeral, she said she's going right back to work and I tried to explain to her the significance, the importance of Shiva, and she wouldn't hear from it. And I think in a very basic sense, I felt bad that she missed out on the therapeutic, the psychological benefits of mourning. But she's not alone because there have been some very wise people who in the past also felt that way more for theological or or philosophical purposes. For example, Socrates was one notable personality who didn't think that death was a big deal. He didn't think it was worth mourning. It's part of the process of life. It's inevitable. It's something that's just, that's life. We are born and we're going to die. It's it's the way it goes. Now, Socrates, he wasn't the only one. This was the, actually the beliefs of many of the Athenian sages and scholars of his time. And in his case, he embraced death. He was actually looking forward and toward it. And in fact, he felt, I mean, his own words, he was a true philosopher who said it's something to look forward to. And you know, anyone familiar with his history, he was he was sentenced to death and he was going to be executed. He even had an opportunity to escape death because his students offered him the opportunity. If you think crime and corruption is only president in South Africa, think again, because it was easy to bribe the prison guard. In fact, I think the bribe was already paid, but he refused to go. And what he said was, I may not get the words correct, but he said any person who has the spirit of philosophy would be willing to die, realizing that for his perspective, it was something that is expected, it's something that is done, and mourning the dead, in fact, is inappropriate from Socrates' perspective because this, you know, the truth is, in this world, 
the philosophers felt that we are limited from fulfilling the true spirit of who we are. Now, Judaism also believes that we aren't, we don't have a soul, but rather we are a soul. And the Athenian philosophers believed similarly, but they felt that when the body or when the soul is emancipated from the incarceration of the body, then the soul, the spirit has the freedom to no, no limitation, no uh, incarceration of the body, out of the shackles of the body. We know, obviously, that Judaism does not agree with that perspective. Mourning the death of a loved one is an age-old Jewish tradition. The question is, why is it so important? Why does, you know, why don't we accept the belief, the perspective of Socrates, that if death is a normal, inevitable part of life, then why are we devastated when we lose a loved one? And I'm not going to differentiate here between, obviously, it is a much stronger and harsher experience when it is a untimely death. But from a Jewish perspective, we believe that death is not the end, just as Socrates believed. We believe the soul is eternal. Our world is filled with deception. It's called Alma de Shikrit, the world of falseness. And obviously, the next world is Olama Emes, the world of truth. So why are we so devastated? Maybe we should celebrate. Maybe it's something to be happy and proud of that the person's moving on to the next world to a better place. By the way, some people say that, and I think if we talk about Shiva etiquette, it's not something appropriate to tell someone that, oh, they're in a better place, because that really is not something they want to be hearing at the time, even if it is true, yes, from a Jewish perspective, we believe the, that this world is only temporary. And in fact, in Perkyavat, it says that this world is the corridor. The next world is the grand banquet hall. So obviously, the next world is that much greater than this world. But at the same time, there is a great advantage to this physical life here in this world. Because when we, when our soul is vested in a body, only here in this world are we able to fulfill the commandments, the mitzvahs. Only in this world can you do a favor for another. Can you light your Shabbos candles or put on tefillin or any of the other commandments? They can only be fulfilled in this world. And that's perhaps why we have that sensitivity when we visit a cemetery to not wear our tzitzis out, which reminds us of the commandments. We don't want to insult, even though I've never seen a dead person say, hey, don't taunt me, don't embarrass me that you could do the mitzvahs and I cannot. But... Nonetheless, there's a certain sensitivity that we each have inside ourselves. And on a most basic level, there's a simple logic to the mitzvah of mourning, to the mitzvah of avelut. As human beings, when someone who we loved so dearly passes on, we experience that that lack, a void. As somebody described it to me when I lost my mother 13 years ago, that there's this gaping hole in our life. And boy, is that true. Every time I'd walk into the house and feel her absence, it was a void, a feeling that cannot really be filled. And although we know that the soul still exists and may very well be very happy in the new unlimited spiritual state, just as Socrates believed, but we have physically lost someone who was a real, a very real part of our life. And that means a real part of us is missing. 
And this naturally translates into feelings of sadness, of pain. And therefore, it would be cruel, in fact, from a halachic perspective, not to mourn. Torah acknowledges reality. And that's why it doesn't just allow mourning, but Jewish law instructs us on the proper and healthy way to do so. So Maimonides talks about this, that mourners find comfort in crying, in experiencing. It, it's, it's more than natural. It's a proper reaction. And therefore, it has those cathartic and healing benefits. Like I said, I find it to be so beneficial that it's therapeutic in some ways, the fact that one is able to say Kaddish for an entire year to hold on to their loved one. Okay, obviously halacha puts a limit on the extent of the mourning, but it also guides us. And if we could tap into that, then we really truly experience in a a most proper way, we could process the loss in a positive and beneficial way. And that's why... Jewish law gives us a proper outline of how we're meant to mourn because there's specific allowances and there are specific rules that we could tap into those beneficial elements, the benefits that would help us as individuals. And therefore, we discuss the benefits, but there's also a theological truth because unlike Socrates' belief, the Torah tells us we know that God created this world and God created it for a reason. And the purpose of creation, not just this physical world, but even the lofty spiritual worlds above, this world is the ultimate one. This is the place where it's the dear Batachtonim. And therefore we can understand that although, yeah, maybe the person's in a better place, but they're no longer able to fulfill their mission in this world. Maybe they fulfilled, maybe they accomplished their mission. In fact, that is a very prevalent Jewish belief that no person dies before their time. Now, I know it's when a person, what we call an untimely death. In fact, even on, halachically speaking, when a person dies young, and young could be even in middle ages, is on the monument, on the tombstone, on the matseva, it's written, Niktaf Bidmeyamov, which means they were snuffed out in the middle of their, in middle of their, in their prime. So, we recognize that indeed, there's a synthesis of ideas here. On the one hand, we acknowledge that a person fulfilled their mission, otherwise God would not take them. But at the same time, A, for us, the people mourning. And B, even the individual, that their presence is no longer here. It's up to us to perpetuate their legacy now. And indeed, the fact that they're no longer here is painful to us. So even though, yeah, they might be in a better place, but we are not in that better place because we feel that void. And when we're back, I would like to go through part of the mourning process as has been requested by some of the messages that came through, how we go through mourning as Jews and what benefits I mean, I don't know what the benefits are, but we could talk about it and see that a person does it to the best way possible according to Jewish law. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And we got some questions coming through. I'm going to try as requested to go through the mourning process. Shalamet has a question as a mourner, uh, sorry, as a convert. 
what does she do with regard to the morning and Shiva? So that is a good, interesting question. Firstly, I would recommend that one should discuss specific personal details with their own rabbi who might know details in person. I, I think for one's biological parent, although a convert is like a new person, I may be I may stand to be corrected, but I do believe that mourning, firstly, would be only appropriate for one's biological parents, even if you are a new person now. These are the parents who brought you in the world. Do you have the halachic requirement of the process of mourning as halachic, halacha dictates? I'm not sure, but even still, one is still able to uh, do so. And again, you could talk with your own rabbi about how to best go about it, but no doubt it would be appropriate to mourn for one's biological relatives, even if one converted to Judaism, I think it would be the correct and appropriate thing to do. So just talk with your rabbi about how to go about it. I'm going to go through the process as I just did experience it a few weeks ago. One, the first state is from the moment that we hear that we're informed of the passing of our loved one. Now, the halacha only requires it for one's seven closest relatives. Naturally, one's parents, so mother, father, then Loaleno, one shouldn't know of, God forbid, one loses a child, son, daughter, brother, sister, and spouse. So those are one's closest relatives. Those are the only ones who these halachic requirements are actually necessary for. So number one is an onen. An onen is a person who hears about the passing of a loved one those seven closest relatives, until the time of burial, until the interment is done, this is the most intense phase of mourning. And at that point, firstly, as outsiders, as us, we should not even be attempting to comfort the mourner. Just be there. Just be present. You don't have to say anything. In fact, Prikiyava tells us, don't try to placate or comfort a mourner while their loved one is unburied. It's wrong we don't do that. And during that period, one who is in that state is actually absolved from all positive mitzvahs. So I'm talking here about obligations, such as men putting on tefillin. You don't even have to say a bracha before you eat your food. One is not allowed to eat meat or drink wine during this time. But the main focus is, A, there's it's a sad time of mourning, and any funeral preparations. Now, even though the Hever Kadisha are involved in the preparations, one still would be exempt from these mitzvahs. Some rabbinic authorities might say, well, if you're not involved in it, and especially if it's a delayed funeral, then maybe one could do these mitzvahs in private. If one said a bracha, you don't have to retract it. But this is a really intense state of grief and the If the mourners are going to the funeral, then Kriya would be torn at the cemetery at the funeral. In, this, in New York, as an example, where I just came from, it is done prior to the funeral procession. It's done at the chapel in the Ohel, so to say, but it's, it's separate events. Then here locally, it is done at the Ohel before the funeral procession. The next stage is Shiva, and that is what begins at the time of internment all the way through the conclusion of seven days. But I want to say realistically speaking, there it's not seven complete days. If I look at my own morning, the funeral happened at 7 p.m. in the in the late afternoon. And although it only gets dark around 9 p.m., we had a little bit of shiva on Thursday. So you're talking about very minimal time. Although New York 
is a city that doesn't sleep. So we've had visitors till very late hours at night. Perhaps that, perhaps that should go into the Shiva etiquette. In fact, if you open this week's Jewish report, got to give a shout out there. And if you look in the letters section to my friend Anne Breast, who has a nice little column on Shiva etiquette, and she has some very good, valid points. And uh, it's worthwhile for people to be cognizant of others. I got to say, you know, first night of Shiva and people are are coming till uh, very late hours, three o'clock in the morning. And uh, some of us are jet lagged and exhausted and we don't want to be rude. So th- th- there could be a list of Shiva etiquette that would be appropriate as well. But during Shiva, like I said, it, it's seven days, but we're going to see how the first day is an incomplete day. Then Friday, want us to get up a little earlier in order to prepare for Shabbos. On Shabbos itself, there's absolutely no morning. So you're already missing here Thursdays, very little time. Shabbos is out. The three complete days of morning were Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Because early Wednesday morning is when we rose up from Shiva. So there was only three complete days of Shiva. Much of the day of Friday and very little of Thursday and Saturday night. So... You see, oh, it's not even necessarily the seven complete days, but whatever amount of time one has, again, has its benefits. I could also say that I personally experienced a major difference and from mourning for my mother when I was much younger, and perhaps winter played a role, it was different, maybe the days are shorter, the nights were longer, I don't know, it felt much longer and much harsher, more difficult. Losing my father at the age of 82 was a little bit different, wasn't as young as my mother was, and uh, again... Perhaps, firstly, each individual is different and unique, and every person reacts differently, and maybe every circumstance is different. So, really, one shouldn't compare anyone's, again, back to Shiva etiquette, you don't have to compare your loss to anyone else's loss. Your loss was a terrible grief and difficult time for you. But I could tell you, somebody just told me the other day how her loss was the worst in the world, and I'm lucky I have a wife and children, thank God. She tells me, you know, she lost her spouse. I really feel for her, and I could relate and sympathize with her. But I don't think it's healthy for anyone comparing one person's loss with another's loss. Each person mourns differently. So it's important to recognize that. Now, just to go quickly from the mourner's perspective... What I mentioned earlier about the woman who refused to observe Shiva, I think she really deprived herself of a tremendous benefit. We don't go to work during Shiva. We stay home. In fact, we sit on low stools. We wear the torn garment, which for a parent is torn on the left side. For anyone, any other close relative, it's torn on the right side. We don't wear leather footwear. So these are different expressions of mourning within Jewish law that help us to actually experience and feel the loss, the broken heart. For everyone else, for the rest of us, it's a mitzvah to visit the mourners and to do whatever we can to actually try and attempt to comfort them. And again, that also requires etiquette because you don't have to engage in nonsensical conversation. You don't have to pry into how did it happen and what happened. I mean, gosh, I could write a all book probably on the most inappropriate things. But again, we're not always cognizant of it. And the point of this show is to perhaps make us just a little bit more aware and to be sensitive and appropriate when it comes to these times. We'll be right back and talk about some of the other steps just now. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Salt to Salam Rabbi Ari Kievman. And just before walking into the studio today, 
I filled out the Jewish Community Survey of South Africa, which is actually closing today. So if you are a procrastinator like me, it's time to get it done. It's your last chance to participate and have your say. So go now, just as I did, to www.jcssa2019.coza and sign up. And there you'll find all the information. You can go to their Facebook page as well. And you could even win a 2,000 Rand voucher for spending on... I don't even remember where, but this is worthwhile. Go do it, and you will shape the future of South Africa. Now, I just looked at my messages, and I just got a message from one of my rabbinic colleagues who was telling me, the Torah says these are the halachas of mourning. Don't just boil it down to psychological therapeutic benefits. So I concur with my dear colleague, but I do want to take this opportunity to just explain very briefly, because obviously the mitzvahs and the laws of the Torah are multifaceted, and we shouldn't reduce them as perhaps I was to psychological benefits. Oh, and someone else wants to know, what are the other processes? I'll quickly say Shloshim. Personally, I'll be going out of Shloshim tomorrow. Shloshim is the 30 days of mourning that is from the moment of burial till 30 days. And so, for example, if the burial took place on a Thursday, the Shloshim would conclude four weeks later on a Friday. And during that time, the mourners do not cut their nails properly, do not take haircuts, do not do luxuriating baths. We study Mishnah for dedicated to the memory of the of our loved one. Mishnah has the same letters as the word Neshama. And then on the Shloshim itself, we have a special event to dedicate to that that time, which includes concluding the study of the Mishnayas, as well as just reflecting and remembering. And obviously throughout the year, one's mourning, only 11 months of Kaddish for one's parent, but still it is still an intense time of mourning and one should not be doing, going to shows or entertainment to things that are inappropriate in the year of mourning. Now, just to explain myself, some of the psychological or therapeutic benefits that I mentioned, number one, I personally experienced that holding on to my loved one by saying Kaddish, I did it for my mom and during those 11 months, every time I was reciting Kaddish and holding the Amud for her. I felt like I was living with her, and uh, that was important, and I feel the same right now as I'm doing so for my father, blessed memory. Now, we got to know that an important element of the laws of mourning is actually accepting the painful reality. A lot of people oftentimes, I remember studying this in counseling, that, that denial, as Dale Carnegie says, is not just a river in Egypt. Denial is a reality. It's, it's actually one of the first stages before acceptance. And when we experience the Jewish laws of mourning, it's part of getting into that state of accepting the full implications of the loss that we've just experienced. And that's perhaps why we tear our garment. Because firstly, we find in the Torah several occurrences of people tearing the garments as a symbol of grief and mourning. We see this when Yaakov received the, or he was informed. It was deceptive, but he was, in, he was informed about the believing that his son Yosef was dead. And there are other instant biblical sources for it as well. Tearing one's clothing, especially if it's done in a crowd, I got to say, you're making yourself vulnerable in that state. It's a very powerful expression of pain of sorrow in fact if you read rabbi doctor uh, rabbi maurice lamb he's got a whole section of this in his book on the jewish way in death and mourning so if you read his book he describes because i, I was in a rabbinic position in the united states for a few years before moving here 10 years ago 
And in America, there's this new custom of people tearing these little black ribbons. And so he has a whole section in his book talking about that. And, you know, t- according to some, that's making a mockery of the whole purpose of Kriya, that it's not even worthwhile. Don't, rather, don't do it. But nonetheless, I think any way for a person to concretely express that it's the Jewish way and the act of tearing one's garment, in a sense, is counteracting that denial that it hasn't happened because there's a real tangible, inescapable physical expression of the loss. We feel, where do we rip the, where do we rip our garment? Right next to our heart. We feel a part of us is broken, is ripped. So it's an expression of that unbearable pain. And I think in a sense, it is, uh, it's a, it brings us into reality. Once a person has come to terms with the loss, then they're able to process it. And it takes time. And time does heal. But getting back to normal life is not something that should happen instantly, like the person I mentioned earlier. Even if a person thinks that they're ready to return to the normal routine of life, it was, to me, in fact, it appeared cruel that this daughter went straight back to work instead of experiencing a little bit of the mourning process. So I really feel that it's actually cathartic and healing. It's very beneficial. And that is why, it's part of the reason why the Kriya is done. Because taking time to mourn, to grieve, is a critical to the healing process. But again, it has to be forward moving. It has to be an active endeavor. Because you can't be stuck in that place. Unfortunately, I've experienced it and seen it. And especially when one loses a spouse, and I think this applies all the more so to men than it does to women. For some reason, women, God gave them a stronger um, resilience, and they're able to overcome. And I've seen this with my grandmother, who lost her husband, my grandfather, in the 1950s. The man was in his 40s, and she lived for another 50 years without him. She was resilient. She was strong. She remained the matriarch of the family. I see this with my mother-in-law. And I see this with my wife's grandmother, with my mother-in-law's mother. Each of these people I mentioned experienced a very premature death of their spouse and were able to move forward, to able, were able to continue. Whereas I've seen with my own father, he wasn't able to progress with life without my mother. Again, maybe it's age-related, whether it's gender-related. I don't know. These are things that could be Perhaps there are studies that could prove one way or another about this. I'm just sharing with you my observations as I was asked to today. So we got to just know that if somebody, especially an elderly person who's lost their spouse, to help them, that they shouldn't get stuck into a rut of depression. It's really important. And perhaps part of the Shiva process for all of us is to help us to accept the reality, this new harsh reality, and at the same time, the process, the progressive process of mourning from an onen who is in this real intense state of mourning to shiva, which has its own intensity but begins to diminish to shloshim to the 30 days to the year and then hopefully a person is able to re-acclimatize with life. So that's it for today, my friends. But we will be back, please God, next week. And uh, considering that it will be Erev Rosh Chodesh Av, when we mourn for the destruction of the temple, maybe we'll take you into some of the insights related to that as well. For now, my friends, wishing you a fabulous Shabbos. 
Carpe Diem, seize every moment you got in life and really cherish the blessings you have. Appreciate your loved ones while they're here in this world. Shabbat Shalom.